Hello and welcome back to our latest podcast in the Tap Talks HR series. We hope you're enjoying the range of topics with HR so far. Um, this time we're talking to Mark Stringer, lecturer in the Department of Organisational Psychology at Birkbeck, the University of London, about existentialism and jazz and how these can help us understand organisational change. Hi Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hi Anthony, good to be here. Fantastic. Well. Organisational change, I mean, that's a massive subject as it is, and I know you know a fair bit about this. So do you want to just give us a a brief opening of why you're interested in this topic and and the background to this title? Mm, Of course. Um, I think my interest lies or has has grown from the years spent working in organisations from private sector, not-for-profit, public sector. And certainly in the context of the age in which I've you know, grown up in terms of from the early 80s through to now the, the, the growth of uh, neoliberalism and uh, regulation in the free market economies it actually meant that organisational change has become more rapid has become has had to try and deal with change and innovate and creativity in a, in a, in a much uh, quicker uh, quicker way and for me, the reason why I like the idea of, of looking at change from different angles is because, because of that need for, for speed, in a way, um, the notions that, um, which, you know, and they do have you know, they're, they're, they're good points, the idea of uh, change from looking from a kind of normative, very structured point of view, so from the idea of emanating from the, the, the likes of uh, Lewin and the freeze-unfreeze-freeze process from humanism in the post-Second uh, World War uh, through to the kind of resource-based uh, strategies of organisational change and organisations in OD, um, they, they do have their place. However, I tend to have seen the fact that they really don't take into account all that what they try and do is control. and. Um, try and control things in a very structured, planned manner. Now, there is certainly room for that. However, it, sometimes it forgets that they're dealing with human beings, and human be- beings, we're all very messy, very um, sometimes very irrational, emotional objects, which don't always do as we're told or, ex- or do what we're expected to do. And as part of that, that kind of the change programme, or kind of the philosophies of change, I, I, I kind of move... My move towards the other end of the spectrum. So, and the reasons why uh, I uh, I do that is because I think there are other ways of looking at change through different lenses. Of two of which are, you know, I've chosen here is existentialism and, and jazz. Is that by doing so, it, it kind of reframes the idea of change and, in a way, sort of paves the way to allow us in organisation change to think well you know good is it good enough if it's good enough is that as Winnicott said you know in the, in the from the topic the institute about about mother motherhood is it good enough is all this change good enough have we have we managed it well enough are we, are we ever going to be completely in control and my argument or my thoughts is well no we're never going to be completely in control so how can we maybe look at things in a different way which allows us some control, but also allows us the fact that we may not be successful, or what, what might we learn from looking at things from a different way, which allows us to sort of manage and implement change in organisational life. So, in terms of, um, and I always, it's, it's, I always get kind of looks of um, 
bemusement or animusement when I'm into kind of the ideas of uh, existentialism as, and, and jazz. And the reason when we, when we, when we teach this um, in, in the module and the master's programme, we do have a kind of, you know, structured process where we start with the very sort of end step change models and OD and talk about the, those type of things. And to, as, as we move through the paradigms and move through from, from that into the kind of uh, the more sort of uh, sucus and cheer and the idea of chaos, that's the things that starts to get to be exciting because I think well, chaos is something which we are constantly bat battling with mentally and in, a, or in many realities on, men on many levels. And um, to look at change, organisation change for, for existentialism, for example, is just to use a lens, a philosophical lens, which says, well, what is my role in this? What, what is, what is my, what is, what, what, who am I? What am I in, in this, 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 um, this piece of work? And to actually kind of understand what the different interpretations are of, of change from both from an individual, from a team, from a leadership point of view, and from an organizational cultural point of view. And the jazz part is, again, I think there's a tendency for people who may not understand jazz that well that somehow it's just a chaotic big mashup mess sometimes. And that sometimes, you know, it can sound like that, um, certainly in some um, genres of, of jazz. Um, but the key point to it is that even underneath that maelstrom, there is a rigid set of rules and um, roles that are being played. So within any you know, jazz group quartet, you know you will have the charts. The players will know their roles. They'll be following a leader. They'll be taking on nonverbal cues. They'll be thinking about change. They'll be trying to respond to each other. They'll be trying to preempt different things. Um, maybe supporting and covering each other if they if they drop a drumstick or whatever. You know, there's, there's all these type of things which are going on. And at the same time, they are creating something new. And I think that if you look, start thinking about organisational life in, in that respect, it gives a different slant on what change is actually about. That, um, and I, I, use the, I use a piece in, in one of my lectures where uh, there's a, a piece of um, Herbie Hancock sort of playing with this all-star group and they're playing a piece which seems to be heading closer and closer to the verge of chaos up until Herbie Hancock and Piano just kind of very briefly looks up and all of a sudden they all follow him and change and they, milliseconds after, are all looking at each other going, wow, we managed to do that, that was great. We knew, kind of knew it was coming but we didn't quite know where we were going but we've, we've all come through this together. And you wouldn't know if it's the, there, was, there was no, you know, the music didn't stop. They just went on a different direction and kind of innovated and changed. Um, so you know that aligned with the, the kind of the philosophies of existentialism and even you know, the idea of, from Heidegger about the kind of hermeneutics and interpretation of what's going on and what that means and, and being. I think they they are kind of good ways to challenge ourselves about what we believe in, what we think in about change and who's involved and why they're involved and maybe look at things in a different way which you know there's a move towards or has been a move towards the uh, kind of concept of dialogic OD where it's surprise surprise is about talking to people it's like well yeah what a surprise you know that's that's part of the issues around change and I won't go into it here but you know a lot of it is about power and a lot of the kind of the change um, so the books that are out there in the market which are very kind of structured don't even touch upon the idea of power and, and cultural issues because that's something which is, is obviously a whole different world that needs to be 
sometimes is suppressed because mm. it doesn't want that's a black black box that doesn't want to be opened. Um, so so for me, I mean that's that's kind of I'm very keen and always interested in looking at different ways of using different lenses to look at at change and just using those two. I think opens up a whole new conversation and a whole new for organisations and certainly for HR, for example, to say, well, actually, <clears throat> or give them the confidence to say, well, yeah, we all know change is difficult and, uh, you know, there's, all, there's lots of issues. There's the temporal dimensions, there's the people dimensions, there's the cultural dimensions, et cetera, et cetera. How can we, rather than maybe repeating things that we've done in the past or other people that have may have not been that successful, where do we stop and just go, hang on a minute, how can we view this from a different platform? I, th I think this, I mean, so many points you've already brought up there, Mark. It's, it's fascinating, and I think it's always easy for us to remember a four-stage model or a three-stage model, um, and obviously that a lot of the time sells the books that sit on the shelves at the airport. Um, but actually, when you get down to it, it's that people aspect, and it's about people knowing their roles, and, and it's much more complex. And I know some HR practitioners, and, and myself included, you you look at a change project as a linear process, mm. uh, but within all of that, there's little eddies kind of floating yep. around and everything. So, mm. would you say that with uh, with the jazz example, for example, the reason jazz happens is because everyone is a great musician and they know their roles. So they're, it's very much about what happens before the transformation and mm. change that is key. Mm. Would you say that? Was a yeah, that's a good point because you know it's readiness for change and preparedness for change and how much people are are willing to put in themselves to practice and to think about um, their position and their roles, what they're willing to do, what they're willing not to do, or we, a lot of time people aren't conscious or, or, or wanting to highlight what they're not willing to do, but that, that resistance is always going to be a major part mm. in any change project. Um, kind of, um, you know, that's always, and that has to be understood has to be minimised as much as possible, but you're never going to get rid of it completely. And in some ways, nor should you, because there's, you know, there is there's, um, some resistance and some disruptions. Always is always good because there's a temptation when you're implementing a change project to think about it that you know when you've nominally reached the end of the project, that somehow that's all very nice and boxed up and everyone's changed mm. and there's going to be no more change. And I think that kind of sense of ongoing and the work of Sukas and Chia of, of look at this and it's quite dense work, but it's also talking about what well, is change. Is it just a process that is, you know, it's, it's never stops. It's constantly going. As soon as you sit, sit down to your first planning formation meeting for a project, as soon as you walk out that, that, that room, it's different. Next day it's different. The day after that it's different. And it's just constantly, even though you've got a piece of paper or a strategic document that says X, Five days down the line, this no, it's no longer X. Uh, you know, so it's, so you're right. It's, it's it's think about it from a again from a sort of psychological point of view, sort of gestalt point of view. It's like thinking about the whole rather than just you know, well, you know, we we do do pe we we want to change from here to here. We don't just start with this demarcation line that says, well, everyone from the, starts at this point and moves yeah. to this point. Yeah, because you'd have different personality types within the team. Some are more ready yep. for change, some aren't. That affects how you would then communicate that. And so it's not so much a this way to this department, this way to communicate to that department. You need to engage with absolutely every single person and tell a story that's compelling. 
and gets them to see the picture, but at the same time understanding that there will be chaos as you go through the process. Yeah, there, yeah, there will be blood. <laughs> um, and the, and that, that sense, but I think again it comes to that transparency and, uh, and ironically the humanistic point of view, which is what, what was trying to be aimed for with the, the idea of, of development of OD. Um, and certainly Kurt Lewin's his work is that sense of uh, and again it's, it's interesting to learn think about all that because that's about, about the context of the, you know coming out of the Second World War and looking at how industry and organisations have changed since Second World War so, well, so the, you know, the massive influx of uh, female workers into the organisations into the way society was changing the way that the kind of uh, funding and finance and the, you know, the, the whole kind of global economy was, was changing so I think in terms of of of, um, of that, certainly for organisations now when, and we'll probably touch upon it on a, on a, in a, a different podcast, but the idea of you know, human capital theory and the way of how um, uh, sort of change, well-being, learning, development is now being, and kind of ownership of your own employment is being you know, made to seem like a really good thing. The idea of then change is, is, is in itself changing again because if you are working as part of the gig economy when you've got four different jobs, you know, your, your, the kind of appetite or the kind of needs to be able to deal with change as, a, as an employee or as a worker, you know, that's going to be very different to how you interpret that from someone you know, who was job for life working in the 60s, 70s in banking, for example. I think that's really interesting, and I think we're in a, 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 you have the saying that like the only constant is change these days, but I think we are in a period where transformation is every single part of our home lives and our work lives at the moment. Um, uh, I have a certain uh, uh, device at home with a female voice that I talk to now and, and does everything for me, and there's various different ones available out there. But um, I think that wasn't there five years ago, and if you said I'll be having an automated house, and then you come into work and we're all now in the gig economy, we're co-working. I came here this morning from a co-working space behind a station and, and I wouldn't have been doing that five years ago. Um, I think it's this, this level of transformation is massive, which I suppose brings me on to the point of these are great topics and our podcasts are never long enough. That's something I've always worked out. Um, but actually, what can we take from this thinking and what can people who are listening to this now who are going into work, maybe at the moment, sitting on the train, what can you take from this to actually help you with um, organisational change in the workplace? Okay. What I would say is that if you are involved in change and if you're attempting to lead change or or indeed are being part of a change project in, in the workplace, is to have the confidence to think about things in, it doesn't have to be jazz or existentialism at all, but it's, it's more about having the confidence and um, the will to, to try and challenge yourself and to look at things in a different way, to, to deviate from that, that norm. Um, there's a really good book that we use called by Smith and Greats, which is the philosophies of organisational change. And that kind of covers, you know, a number of areas of the things I'm talking about. There moves from the paradigms between the normative and the interpretive, and the kind of critical realms of change, which is about you know about power, agenda, inclusivity, those type of things, and then the kind of postmodern views of change, which is chaos, language, 
deconstruction and those type of things, which is, you know, this is very fascinating because it's about a lot of it's about language. And you mentioned it earlier about, you know, the language of change is a really interesting thing. Um, and not, not, all, not all organizations get that right because um, it's tied into culture, it's about, again, it's about power, it's about what people want to say, what they don't want to say. And to be honest, I'm always interested in what's left unsaid as opposed mm. to what's actually said because uh, the idea is binary because if you say something, obviously something else isn't being said at the same time. And having been in organizational change, and you know, that's you know, a lot of people do get that, they may not realize that, but unconsciously they're thinking, You're telling me that, but there's something missing. Mm. And I think that that's that's something which I think people should challenge themselves, certainly from an HR point of view, to say, Well. And HR is a difficult role to have because you've got to serve two masters. You've got to serve the business itself or leadership, and then you've got to serve the people who are working for the organisation. But it does give you that chance to say, well, do you know what? Maybe we can look at this in a different way. And that's, that's what I'm just urging people to do. Aside from that, if you haven't read any Sartre or Heidegger or anything, you know, go and do that. And if you haven't heard any jazz, go and buy some decent <laughs> jazz albums. <laughs> yeah, you heard it from us first. Go and buy some jazz. Um, that's what Tap Talks HR is recommending this week. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's that's a very valid point. Actually, it, it's almost like when change has happened, almost an, analyse what's gone well, what's not gone well what hasn't gone well and actually do think and reflect and and be out of the box a little bit in your thinking mm. about what could we do differently and and I love the jazz analogy because you're so right that it, it even though it's, it might sound mildly chaotic at the time which to be honest is our workplace it is always mildly chaotic there underneath that there are people who are have trained in what they've done are experts in the field and having those experts in the right place at the right time can actually make that chaos go well, kind mm. of thing, so. Well, yeah, yes, and, and to revel in it, and mm. to say, well, do you know what, there, there, will, there will be chaos, there will be things that we'll get right and we'll get wrong, um, and to, um, much like, uh, from the, like I alluded to the video, that you do sit in that room at the end of it, and you realise you do all raise your eyebrows and go, that was, that, was, that was a bit of a, bit of a ride, that was the, but we got there, mm. and that's, that's a great feeling. Um, but, to also then be conscious to say, well, that's 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 just the passage of time. What what's next? Because all of you know straight away, it's going to be there's the I think the the illusion that change is neatly chunked up into nice time blocks and considered is past its sell by date. Okay, well that's great. Well. Mark, we've run out of time already, but um, thank you very much for that conversation. No I think it takes a subject like organisational change to the next level and gets us to think slightly broader than, than what we've always kind of chunked our way through change in our workplaces. So thank you very much for that. And, and thanks everyone for listening and, and to these Tap Talk HR podcasts. I mean, do share your feedback with us, either contact us on social media, leave a comment on your podcast channel, or come and see us at tapsolutions.com. So thanks very much for now and um, speak to you soon. Bye.